I mean, what's pro football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So, Who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Palazzolo back here with Sam Monson. We're live on YouTube once again. I like going live, Sam. Hmm. Get the crowd involved here. Get the folks involved. So let's do this thing. Today we're discussing AFC team needs post-free agency. There is an article on PFF.com. Anthony Tresh wrote it up. Going team by team on uh, all 32 teams. Post-free agency. We'll go through all the team needs. So kind of reset. It's like a resetting of the depth chart. So we're going to do this twice. We'll do another bonus show today and tomorrow, AFC today, NFC tomorrow, and then we'll get full board into draft season starting next week. All right, let's Sound go. Good? All right, let's reset all the depth charts. Starting in the AFC, we'll go team by team, and we're going to do it alphabetically. So the Baltimore Ravens are up first. The BLTs? The BLTs. Yeah, so coming out of free agency, we still have wide receiver, offensive tackle, uh, Edge is is listed here. They 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 made lower profile moves there. Bring it back, Tyus Bowser, have Pernell McPhee, but uh, wide receiver, and then you know the future at offensive tackle still a question for the Baltimore Ravens. Yeah, um, and that's without even factoring in the idea that Orlando Brown is still potentially on the move. Um, right. I'm sure thinking they maybe they're going to move him, potentially, and then they would have to replace him somehow. Yeah, like I'm sure they don't want to trade him, but if if he wants to play left tackle, if they're looking at you know what kind of contract is he going to be demanding when we have to extend him, I think it's got to be available as an option as you head into the draft, which is when it would happen. You know, obviously anybody trading for him would have to give up draft capital, which expires or at least ceases to become as useful. Um, the second the draft happens so that's the deadline on that but then you're having to replace him on that offensive line along with um, the other positions the the wide receiver one is interesting though because they've been interested in some receivers in free agency like they've been kicking around different ideas Sammy Watkins was just in for a visit yeah and they've they've seemed to have been interested in a few different types of receivers so you know we've had this conversation before about what style of receiver do you want to put there do you want the speedster the Will Fuller or the Sammy Watkins, or do you want to give them the Kenny Galladay or the, the sort of true number one option that at least starts to eliminate some of the questions? I don't know that they know. Like, I, I think they know that they want to add a receiver. I don't think that they have a firm idea of what exactly they want to put into that offense at that position. I think they're just exploring all those options. Watkins, always a fascinating case because – he did look like the next big thing at receiver in his second season. That was his peak year uh, in PFF grading, was a legitimate deep threat with Tyrod Taylor. And, you know, if, if you're going to produce, he, he had some really good games at Kansas City, Watkins. Um, I don't know if you want him to be your number one option. And would he be if he was in Baltimore? Between him and Marquise Brown and Miles Boykin. So, yeah, there's still some work to do. I think back end of the first round, if, if they do need a tackle or they do need a receiver, there are definitely options 
to be had there. I'm always... It's a good place to be picking for both, probably. Yeah, and I'm always interested in the Rondell Moores and Kadarius Tonys of the world, the gadgety-type players for Baltimore to keep defenses off balance. Speed and gadget is what I lean. You lean true wide receiver one, but I think... Well, I'm not Given saying, yeah. what's available here, they're going to have to stitch it all together with multiple players. I'm not saying you can't achieve it without one, but what I want to see is just eliminate the variable. So, yeah, you look, you, there are teams out there that have not had a true elite number one wide receiver and have still been great. San Francisco uh, with Kyle Shanahan's offense. It's not like you require one of those to be functional, but we know right now that Baltimore's passing game is not quite where it wants to be. It's, it's coming off the rails a little bit. And we don't quite know why. We don't, we're not 100% sure what the root cause of the problem is. I would just like to see them eliminate that variable as a potential source of that problem. If you plug a true elite number one X receiver in there, we can forget about that as a problem. And we can start figuring out if it's still wrong, what is the reason now? It's like when the Browns went, okay, we're heading into the season. Baker Mayfield is wobbling. Let's just cut out anything else that could be an issue. Let's hammer the offensive line in terms of resources and make sure the offensive line is good and not a reason that Baker Mayfield is playing badly. Um, and all the, you know, bring in people with a proven offensive scheme to eliminate that variable. Like, they eliminate everything so that the only thing left would be Baker Mayfield. Now, Baker Mayfield like, reversed course and played really well this year, so it wasn't a problem. The, the things they did to fix the other issues potentially took care of the problem. But the point is, they left themselves in a situation where going into the season, the only variable left was Baker Mayfield. I would like to see Baltimore attack the same kind of thing where you say, look, we don't know what it is, so let's just start ticking off things that it could be and leave ourselves with only one option. You, you might hear me say this a lot, but <coughs> I think the key there from an offensive standpoint is to have multiple ways to win. I describe this as you know the Patriots adding two tight ends to throw to and a couple receivers – at least gives them the option that in a given week the passing attack can win. I think that's what Baltimore needs. They need the option in a given week, as much as they would love to run the ball 40 times and put up 250 yards on the ground every single week, and a lot of times they can do that, there are certain games you're going to run up against a really good run defense that, that will take that away, that will put eight in the box and the whole deal, and you just want to have answers to that. And that's what good offensive football teams do. So I do think wide receiver remains the biggest need for the Ravens. Tackle is a little dependent on Orlando Brown and looking forward. Edge defender is an interesting one because they bring back Pernell McPhee and Tyus Bowser. Neither one of those guys is great one-on-one, -on -one, but the Ravens have done pretty well with guys who you know get some schemed-up pressure and are just solid there. But the edge class, there could be some guys available late first as well. So wide receiver is the big one because I just want multiple ways to win, man, and I think that's the big one. All right, let's go to the Buffalo Bills. Going alphabetically here, so we're in the Bs. The Bs. Buffalo Bills, biggest team needs. They're not, both, by the way. Ravens and Bills, just good, all round, well-rounded, on-paper rosters. So we're looking at the Bills' biggest needs as D-line and then corner, which I think has been a consistent one. And I know your boy Levi Wallace is there opposite Tredavious White. Brought him back. Right? And he, and he keeps fighting for another day. But Every cornerback day. opposite Tredavious White feels like this <laughs> yearly spot where maybe the Bills could just do a little bit better. Yeah, I mean, look, that, that, that's what I've been saying, right? <laughs> every year they're going to try and take his job, and I just think every year he's going to somehow cling on to it. But as long as he's there, you will always be trying to upgrade upon him. Like, unless Levi Wallace takes an unexpected leap forward in development that even I don't expect to happen, I, I think he's the kind of guy that, yeah, look, we're, we're not bad as long as he's there. 
but he's the guy that we're always going to have our eye out for a potential upgrade. He's like Jimmy Garoppolo at quarterback, right? Ooh, yeah. It's not like it's, it's a bad thing that he's your quarterback, but as long as he's there, you're always going to have your eye out in something better. Like, we can do better than this. Uh, when we talk about D-line for the Bills, Ed Oliver did not grade well for us against the run. No. Did get a little bit more pressure last year. And we've mentioned this before, but I think the big nose tackle, Starlo Talele, is back. But, you know, he missed all of last year. But even just for much of Sean McDermott's regime here in Buffalo, they felt light up front. And I don't know if that's an adjustment that they need. So the, the Baltimore equivalent of find more ways to win offensively I think for Buffalo it's like find a few find fewer places to lose defensively so as much as they want to invite the run do they want to change things schematically get one of those big nose tackles Alim McNeil is number 47 on the draft board NC State Uh, Tyler Shelvin's number 73 a couple 340 pounders to put in there play the run with that with the light box there and really take some pressure off those linebackers I would, I would love to see Ed Oliver kick on in, in year three. I think this is a big make-or-break season for him. Yeah. Um, he has 68 total pressures in his NFL career so far, and he's rushed the passer 800 times. Those are bad numbers. Yeah, well, I mean, 68 okay. is fine in and of itself. I mean, it's okay, but it's not. But having rushed the passer 800 times to right. get 68 pressures is not good. Aaron Donald, you know, hits 100 pressures in a season where he's rushing the passer like four or 500 times. Um, Ed Oliver just needs to be better. Like, he's got the freaky – he's got Aaron Donald-esque movement skills. Um, he's never had Aaron Donald's ability to win with his hands and defeat blocks that way. But he can – he's athletically similar. He can move the same way. And he's just never been the same impact player in the NFL. Now, when you l- watch him on tape, you can see flashes of him, you know, having those kind of big plays and – winning with hustle and sort of running down guys from crazy angles that most defensive tackles can't do. So I think he, you know, this PFF grade was 10 points better as a pass rusher last year than it was the year before that. I do think there have been steps forward um, from his game as a pass rushing presence, but he needs another big step. Like if he keeps, like the steps he's taken so far are so small that it would take him like five years to reach the point where he reaches the peak people thought he was going to be at. And that's just that's just too long. We need a big jump in year three for Ed Oliver. I don't even care if he stays as bad as he is against the run right now, if he just becomes the you know impact pass rusher that he should be. Yeah, the Bills actually created a lot of pressure last year. There, there's still not a great dominant rusher opposite Jerry Hughes on the defensive line. The other thing to keep an eye on is last year's rookies. Do do we expect a bigger jump from last year's rookies just having the full season? A guy like A.J. Epinesa as a second-round pick, we had him as a first-round value coming out of Iowa. He could take a big step forward and actually mitigate some of the what looks like a hole on paper, but Epinesa was just okay mm. as a rookie. So keep an eye. The whole second-year thing for rookies generally, I think, is, is a really interesting thing because you know fans will always t- tell you about the third or fourth round rookie from a year ago that's ready to step into the role it's like hey how are you guys ignoring this third round pick we had last year that's just ready to play right tackle now like well <laughs> is he like based on what like it's just so or uh, you know even a first round pick that was disappointing so Jalen Rager phenomenal wide receiver group last year just so many of these guys dominant from the get-go um, Jalen Rager was the one that wasn't now 
does that mean we missed on Jalen Rager or does it mean Jalen Rager just had a bad rookie year and actually there's more talent there look at the rest of this group he was seen as a a a comparable player to them just Carson Wentz playing as badly as he did Jalen Hurts at quarterback wasn't a good situation they didn't really know how to use him Jalen Rager jumps out this year like just that whole evaluation league-wide whether your rookie was good or bad what you expect them to do in year two we have a conspiracy theory Uh-oh. in the comments. Guy named JM. JM. Okay. We don't want. We want the Bills to fail. Their biggest need is a dynamic third round running back. We want the Bills to fail. Yeah. Biggest needs a dynamic third round running. Uh, so third, third down running back. You and I, the PFF NFL podcast, want the Bills to fail because we're not suggesting that they need a third round running back. Is yeah. That that the idea? That's what's being suggested here. Okay. Um, could they use a nice pass-catching running back? Sure, but find him in the middle rounds. All right, let's go on. I mean, to the... would it even significantly move the needle on anything they're doing? Dimitrik Felton? I mean, look, if you get a nice Dimitrik, I'm going to put Dimitrik Felton. going to be my Will Fuller. Yeah, he's your Will Fuller. He's going to be my Will Fuller. Get Dimitrik Felton everywhere. He's going to the box. You he's need going to, to the Bills. So I need to, I need to understand. I'm not saying this is true. I just need to understand so far because he's the – the wide receiver running back hybrid, right? The, Correct. The jackpot that everybody is sort of chasing. Correct. What's the difference between him and Dalen Dawkins from a few years ago who, like, barely ever got a chance in the NFL but was a similar wide receiver running back hybrid? We actually have an article on the site pulling up Demetric Felton comps, Kev Cole. I is believe, Dalen in there? I'm pretty sure I saw him on the comp <laughs> list, Dalen Dawkins. Okay, so I'm just saying someone needs to explain to me why he isn't the same guy. Let me just say, if so here's who falls in danger of doing this. The Buffalo Bills. Um, the Steelers, maybe, but the the Bucks, the Bills, and the Bucks fall in danger of looking at their roster and saying the depth chart looks nice here and it looks nice there and it looks nice over here. What's missing? Mm. Running back. And if that's the move for the Bills in the at the end of the first round, I think that would be a Dude, mistake. I mean, Singletary and Moss are fine. Say, just, Devin Singletary just can get be them your in third space. Round. They'll make guys miss. They don't need. Look, could they use a nice, uh, you know, like a shifty? route runner to complete that offense fine but if most of the targets are going to those top three receivers with Emmanuel Sanders there now with Dawson Knox maybe taking another step forward next year in year three bills are fine from a pass games perspective yeah I think the difference in Devin Singletary versus a true route running running back is minimal to that offense let's go to the Cincinnati Bengals so we're still looking at the offensive line wide receiver and edge defender edge with uh trey hendrickson coming in carl lawson going out but you still it's sam hubbard opposite trey trey hendrickson i think that's definitely a position you want to be three deep there uh, edge defender receiver is the one i've been banging this drum the entire offseason t higgins was a good draft pick last year tyler boyd is fine but at some point we're gonna need no, somebody with some speed at some point yeah i mean you want a different style player that's how you build your basketball team in wide receivers you have Auden tate is your contested catch guy T. Higgins is that plus. T. Higgins is your contested catch guy. No, because he's... Tyler Boyd is your contested catch T. Higgins guy. is your catch radius guy. <laughs> Auden Tate just catches the ball when he's covered because he's always covered. T. Higgins gets open a little bit, and he's got the radius. Tyler Boyd could be your nice slot. And then I don't think you need necessarily a, a pure speed guy because I'd take a Jamar Chase. I would take a J- Jalen Waddle. I, I'd take any of those guys. I just want somebody else that you can that's reliable there. And then, of course, there's still more work to do. How on important the do you line. think um, a different a different skill set is to a receiving core that is very samey? 
So one, the Bengals are one, the Dolphins are another. There's a few teams actually picking at the top of the draft where their receiving core is all very similar in terms of how they win. And so in theory, you want to add the missing piece to that, right? You want to find a receiver that does something that these guys don't. And if you're looking at the top of the draft, I mean, the biggest, the, number one and two are Jamar Chase and Devontae Smith, who win in very different ways. And Jamar Smith, or Jamar, Jamar Smith, Jamar Chase trends more towards this style of contested catches, dominates people at the catch point, you know, mosses people, just strength, power, catch radius, all those kinds of things. Whereas Devontae Smith trends more towards route running, getting open, savvy speed, does some of the contested catch stuff and catch radius stuff as well. But if they're very close on your board and you need one specific skill set, you would lean towards the guy that has that. So I think generally most people have Chase is one, Smith is two, and depending on how much you like them, it's like one and one A. But how much should that need for a specific skill set pull you in one direction? I think I view it more as a speed, like a, a speed, no speed issue more than these guys are all contested catch guys. I think back to my, uh, the 2000, mid 2000 Jaguars. Whatever it is, it's a missing, yeah, yeah, missing skill set. I would rather the missing skill set. So the question is, how much should, like, how, how much should that override the difference you have between the two of them in, in a vacuum? I think it's a tiebreaker. It's, it's just a tiebreaker. Nothing more than a tiebreaker. Yeah, it can only be a tiebreaker. I don't think you want to skew off your evaluation too much. Right, but if you have them close, if you think like it's one and one A. If it's close enough, then it's a tiebreaker. That's, I mean, that's, I mean, tie doesn't mean it's got to be perfectly even. I mean, if it's that close, I think it kind of does. You it's break by, the tie. By definition, with that. that's exactly what it means, in fact. Oh, is it? Yeah. Yeah, I think, so if it's close, I could see it as your tiebreaker. I'm just saying, so you got Cincinnati at the top, you got Miami at the top. Both of those teams, I think, could use a Devontae Smith skill set more than they could use a Jamar Chase skill set. Here's where it's a mistake. If like last year, yeah, going for rugs. When you say it, C.D. Lamb or Jerry Judy, similar things line up different places, but they get open. Most important thing, and you just like give me rugs, yeah. Because and I love speed, Agreed. but give me rugs over the. Like if they go, I need Waddle just because he's the fastest. Agreed. But he's our third best wide receiver overall. Then I don't, I don't love that. You, again, you're not trying to fill out a depth chart. You are trying to get the best players at those positions. Yeah. And so you lean toward the best player. And if it's a tiebreaker, it's like, okay, Devontae Smith's a little different than Jamar Chase. Anyway, I think it would be wise for the Bengals to attack wide receiver early. Bringing in Riley Reef does not keep them away from one of the top tackles. It doesn't keep him away from Rashawn Slater Agreed. or Panay Sewell. Those guys are still very much Certainly in the mix. shouldn't. But it, but it opens up some flexibility, at least in the short term, um, that they don't have to force that pick. If they didn't have Riley Reef, it'd be like, man, we're taking top tackle available here. Because we have the short-term immediate need. Yeah. But tackle and wide receiver, I think, are still sitting at the top for me. Edge is more of a depth play. Uh, I mean, they the could Bengals. still use interior offensive line as well. Oh, yes. The, the line yes. just – the line has had – I mean, Riley Reef came in. Other than that, it's still basically the worst line in the NFL, one of the worst from last year. It still needs help. Like, find whatever offensive lineman you can and keep going. All right, let's go to the Cleveland Browns, another team that's – rounding out the roster extremely well by the way so everyone's sort of favorite thing is Devonte smith comes out it's like i'm 170 pounds that's what i play at that's how we're rolling and everyone's like well you weigh more than Devonte smith i mean i weigh more than Devonte smith and i'm not a large human how much more than Devonte smith do you weigh over 100 <laughs> that's all right that's, that's all i wanted carry on 
Uh, we had a very astute PFF podcast listener. Did he ever get back to you on uh, tweeting out his little Yeah, yeah, tool? I tweeted it out. So he tweeted out his uh, from Tableau, hmm. basically, uh, which NFL player you by size. Yeah, based off so your height So he's got everybody really nice visual, and you type in your height and weight, and it's like your player comps are X. I, I'm Emmanuel Sanders. So I have three that I – so I went through the three phases of Steve. I had like Slim Steve when I was a good athlete. Then I had my playing size and weight when I bulked up a little bit, and then I have now. Okay. So now I'm Carlos Dunlap. Okay. Uh, well, that my, makes sense. Slowing down, you know, getting yeah. on in years, not not what he once was. I forget who my my playing weight guy was. Not as good. Do you remember? I don't even know if you remember. But no. my slim guy was Jimmy Graham. So like when I was Jimmy Graham. when I first was a professional baseball yeah. player, I was Jimmy Graham. You now, never really now had I'm Carlos Jim. Dunlap. I mean, it, it does fall down a little bit in terms of height and weight, sure, but you've never quite had Jimmy's hops. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I never. It turns out I am. It turns out I am two hundred pounds less than uh, Trent Brown. That's quite a lot. Yeah, that, that's the cool thing too. You type in your height, and it's like, oh, you're <clears throat> here's how much smaller or bigger you are than everyone else. What I have, uh, I have many pounds on. Um, many, many pounds. Yeah, uh, Dion or whatever. Is that who it was? Uh, the cornerback think- from the Giants. Oh, Boys yeah, Dante State. Dion. Dante Dion. He's a yeah. very small guy. I mean, even I have a significant size advantage over Dante it's Dion. It's a fun tool. Check out at PFF underscore Sam. Check out his timeline. And, I, yes, you did tweet it out. Pretty cool little tableau. That dude is like 5'8", 155 pounds. Yeah. I have him by like 30 pounds. Cleveland Browns roster. Edge, linebacker, interior defensive line. Um, they are they're making a lot of smart moves. Yep. They're building their team, their defense back to front. So based off of what their needs are, they are uh, probably you know somewhat adhering to some of our axioms of you know bringing in a John Johnson, bringing in uh, a Troy Hill, a lot of depth now on the back end there, and so now it's okay. What do they do at edge? What do they do at linebacker? Do they start pushing safeties up to play linebacker, which is another forward-looking type of way of playing football in the NFL? But, yeah, the entire defensive line or front seven is, is a need for the Browns. Which would potentially make a lot of sense given the safeties that they have in that building. Um, you know, they, they obviously they bring in John Johnson and free agency, one of the best moves. We absolutely love that. They're getting back Grant Delpit, who missed his entire rookie season. But, again, that's one of the perfect case studies. Second-round pick, we are enthused generally by second-round picks, but he's a second-round pick that missed his entire rookie season. Do we expect him to be good going forward? Who knows? It's complete unknown at this point. You've also got uh, Ronnie Harrison, who they brought in last season. You've still got Carl Joseph there, right? You've uh, they, they've got players. Joseph's gone now. Oh, he's gone. Yeah, he departed in free agency. Yeah, but you've got players there that you know three are going into two. Now you can play big nickel. You can get you know, there's space for those guys on the field at the same time, or one of those guys can become a nickel or dime linebacker, which is the way most of the league is trending. MJ Stewart is still there, and he had elements of that, I think, coming out of UNC yeah. and early with Tampa Bay, like as a, like a corner, 200 pounds, hybrid. To play slot, cover the tight end a little bit. I'm all about just options at defensive back. And now, uh, when you talk about lining up with the draft, again, this edge class with no Boses and no Garretts and no Chase Youngs there, it, it's all over the place. So there are, uh, there are edge defenders to be had in the 20s that I think would be good value for the Browns and then you also look at a guy like Jordan Elliott uh, one of those guys last year that went much lower than we expected yeah, another big same thing as AJ Epine- Epinesa what do you expect from him in year two could mm-hmm. he fill some of that 
the question marks along the interior of the defensive line they, with I mean, Ariog and Joby moving on. It would be huge for them if Jordan Elliott became the player that we thought he was going to be coming into this, yeah. coming into the draft. We thought he was one of the best pass rushing options available, right up there with um, the Javon Kinlaw. Right. Actually, you know, a better pass rusher than a guy like Derek Brown. Um, didn't More really effective see, in the SEC than Derek Brown. Right. Didn't really see it from him as a rookie. If he develops in year two, you know, team with, with Malik Jackson coming in, suddenly you've got a really nice rotation of pass rushing interior players. Now you just need somebody that can anchor against the run for a couple of downs, which is the easier thing to achieve. All right, let's go to the Denver Broncos. QB and yeah. safety. I promised our, I promised myself I wouldn't get bogged down in, in QB discussion. Okay, but, but you have to with Denver. Right? You have to with Their Denver. Their entire offseason has been built around let's do what we can, let's make the moves to address what we have, and let's ring fence a very specific chunk of money that is here for a quarterback. Um, so they are still sitting there on this Deshaun Watson train of trying to make a trade happen, which is becoming ever more complicated the uh, more lawsuits get deployed against Deshaun Watson. Um, so, yeah, look, Denver need a quarterback. They can't go into the season with Drew Locke as their starter. Nobody, nobody wants to see that, including the people in the building. So we have to, you know, it's relevant. So we think in draft here? Is this a, a move up in the draft type I don't of play think, I mean, here? I think because they've set aside that group or that chunk of salary cap money, I don't know that they're in the market for a draft quarterback. I think they're Deshaun Watson or bust. Problem is, like, what happens if you're bust? Well, they're sitting at number nine in the draft, and I think you're at least going to take a shot there somewhere. I don't know where the league's going to – I'm assuming Zach Wilson's off at number two. I don't know where the league's going to value Justin Fields versus Trey Lance versus Mac Jones. Right. I have a feeling out of that trio, Trey Lance is the one that falls. So somebody falls in love with Fields. Somebody's going to like Mac Jones. All the rumblings that there's four guys going in the top six and – Mac Jones is going top 10. I just have a feeling he's going. So that's your – okay. So, so I think Trey Lance is going to Everyone's saying fall. four in the top six. You're thinking the four includes Mac Jones? I think it includes Mac Jones, and I think wow. Trey Lance becomes the odd man out. Wow. Just because he's, he's the toolsy guy with a lower sample size, FCS. It feels like you're taking on more risk with Trey Lance, and I think that's how it shakes out. That's everything my recently feeling. says those are the guys you want. That's, oh, I know that. Let's I go know. after our Josh Allen. Or recency bias takes over. But I, listen, I thought recency bias would take over in the NFL and that Fields and Lance, everybody would be all over them. But there's enough rumblings around the NFL, Mac Jones and all this stuff. That Isn't I, that I'm, just how pre-draft works, though? I believe it. I don't know. Last, like, last year, I was so wrong. I'm reading I how Jamar Chase can't get open because this is pre-draft. Well, there right? he is. He can't separate. He's, all, he's like... It's, this is just bullshit season. He's Jordy Nelson. Antonio Brown gets open at the catch point. That's all that I mean, matters. He gets open everywhere. It's Jordy Nelson. Like it's not a problem anywhere. So what did I buy into last year that I just <laughs> – I, I completely bought into <clears> – <throat> was it the Dolphins and Herbert? Could have been, yeah. No, yeah, yeah. You – yes, it was something – you thought that the Dolphins were going to snag Justin Herbert. And that the Chargers were going to land Tua. Yes. That was my – I completely bought in. Right. All the rumblings coming out of Miami. They love Herbert. He's their guy. Yeah. I thought they might trade up to get him. Uh-huh. And then and we expected a lot of trade. We, we expected somebody to make a move, especially with all the draft capital Miami had. They had three first-rounders. They were going to maneuver and go up and get their guy. Rumors were that it was Herbert. I was completely wrong. 
So this year, I could be completely wrong, but my current feeling is that if there's four quarterbacks off the board, it's Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, Mac Jones, with Trey Lance, the guy where you know the Panthers are debating him at eight, the Broncos are debating him at nine, and the Niners are debating him at twelve. That's what I'm feeling about Trey Lance. You are like um, you know a disinformation campaigner's dream. Like you ever read those things of you know during the Cold War they would send out like false flags, right? Like disinformation using the coded messages. So when somebody decoded them, it's like, ah, they think they've broken your codes and they've actually just, they're going the wrong place entirely. Like, where is it the, uh, was it Dunkirk? Where the, or no, the, the invasions of Normandy, right? During the Second World War, where they managed to convince Hitler and the Germans that they were yep. attacking somewhere completely different because they broke the code. And they're like, hey, look, they're attacking over here. Let's deploy all the forces over there. That's you. You are like that guy's absolute dream. This sucker will de- de- decode the, uh, the message and believe whatever the hell we have written in there. That's you pre-draft. Yeah, I mean, I'll just buy into anything. I'll be anybody's messenger. Yeah. Send me text messages with your rumors. I'll do it. So, do you think – So, the upshot Sean of this is Watson you think they're going to take Trey Lance. Yeah. They'll, they'll, be, in the, they'll be debating him. I mean, sure if they, they don't, they're rolling with, with Drew Locke. Which they can't do. <laughs> um, we put safety as a, another need. It's just trying to they, – they bring back uh, Justin Simmons, which is great. And Kareem Jackson, I think, right? They re-signed him. Did they bring Kareem back? I I'm not seeing him. they re-signed I'm not seeing him on my depth chart at the moment. But I could be wrong. Yes, they did. They, oh, so take safety off the board there here. There you go. One-year deal. I mean, it's still, you know. I mean, safety – like it's a forward-looking – approach if you're looking at safety but man do i love what they what they're doing in the secondary there they bring kyle fuller in to reunite uh with vic fangio mm-hmm. ronald darby opposite fuller and bryce callahan suddenly that's a trio of corners bryce callahan nasty. sneaky good very good slot corner justin simmons one of the best safeties in the league kareem jackson has been he has been um like the Ryan Fitzpatrick of safeties, <laughs> Fitzpatrick's best. Not even football. just safeties, defensive backs. Like just he's DBs. been, he's at the moonlight of corner as well and done pretty well. But Kareem was, he was, he had a good solid career, and then all of a sudden, the last three years, it's his highest graded years in PFF history. Most of that time playing safety. So, yeah, I love what the Broncos are doing in the secondary. I'm going to be talking about them the way I talked about the Chargers last year, where it's like, okay, if you're in this division with the Chiefs, and you have to match up with all their weapons. The last year it looked like on paper the Chargers were prepared to do that before all the injuries. The Broncos, plus Fangio, who can call a game, man, they're prepared to do it. The whole season's going to rest on the quarterback, though. Either Drew Locke, who has one year of data, basically, over two seasons. He's either going to take a big year two, quote-unquote year two jump, or they have to make some kind of move. Or all these other great moves that they're making aren't going to mean anything. Yeah, the other sneaky... um option that they could go with is edge rusher i mean von miller's coming back yeah von miller even before he was unavailable was not the same player that he used to be um had a massive step back in terms of pff pass rushing grade now the um the production was still vaguely similar in terms of total pressures and all those kinds of things but he had a massive drop off in terms of how that pressure came about there was a lot more sort of free and easy cheap plays um, and, you know, now he's, what, 32 years old. Bradley Chubb's been injured. I would be intrigued to see them taking this opportunity to say, hey, it's not really a desperation play. It's not a position of real need, but how great would we look 
if we snagged a top tier pass rusher and one of these guys you know doesn't pan out and then we have someone to turn to and we don't suffer any kind of drop off yeah like we said with with cleveland and a couple of the other teams three deep at edge is is generally a good play so that's a common theme with a lot of these teams right now houston texans biggest needs qb probably <laughs> is how we've we've stated it defensive QB line and then everything and then some wide receiver depth there as well i mean depth is what they've added everywhere yeah so it's positions one through 20 on the roster that they have a need for this is i'm trying the closest proxy to this is when pete carroll took over seattle or he became the head coach in seattle remember how many moves they made i think it was 2010 they churned through that entire roster and it was and you know everybody thought well pete's gonna bring in all his old usc guys and he at least like brought them in just to see what they were but he had no problem getting rid of them either Mm. he went through so many players back early seattle days until they settled on you know who's going to be that's what it feels like right now in houston but yeah their big story obviously is going to be do they hold on to deshaun watson does watson hold out do they trade him Uh, d-line depth is a massive need for the texans and then yeah getting good once again at wide receiver where it's brandon cooks randall cobb and dante moncrief now as a potential starter with um, Will Fuller moving on. They brought in Chris Conley, so Kiki Cutie's still there, but it's a lot, you know, still need a guy there. Dante Moncrief is like the poster child for the player in the NFL that just will not ever leave. Like, that guy will keep getting chances until the end of time. He's going to be 38 years old, and somebody's going to be expecting a breakout season from Dante Moncrief until they look down at his date of birth and realize that he's like 40. I, I don't, I, it's not happening ever. It's, it's not going to happen. Wait till Never. you hear the training camp. Never going to happen. Just wait until we hear about what he's doing at training camp. Yeah. Um, from a high-level standpoint, I, mean, I think the secondary, too. Look, I, they put they invested a little bit in Terrence Mitchell and Desmond King. They're moving in the right direction there. It is going to be a high-volume play there, so more volume is needed with the <laughs> secondary. That's been – it I mean, was I, an issue on their playoff team. You know, yeah. In 2019, their playoff team, bad issues in the secondary. I mean, honestly, we were joking, but there isn't a spot in the starting lineup that isn't a need everywhere. Like, literally, they need everything. They don't need a left tackle because they have the Laramie Tunsil trade. <laughs> they have the, the spoils of the Laramie Tunsil trade that's crippling them right now. They have Brandon Cooks as one wide receiver. Um, you know, Marcus Cannon came in. He should be a viable starter. There's a couple of people on the offensive line that are fine. Like tight end is a need quarterback will be a need when Deshaun Watson leaves running back is probably not a need on the basis that it rarely is but even then you've got David Johnson Mark Ingram Philip Lindsay they signed so I'm sure there's a backfield in that group um interior edge linebacker safety cornerback everything is a need the entire defense remains a need even despite the players you brought in I'm sure there will be a couple of viable starters out of that group just because you brought in so many something is bound to stick at some point but the Texans still need basically everything this isn't the fix your team podcast no this is just declare what's wrong with it podcast. all of it all we of it is still your wrong team a couple weeks ago yes. then your team went and did free agency and I don't know what they you know and by the sometime. way we didn't really fix the Texans because they're and we never fixed the Texans yeah um, I will say, as crazy as it seems, bringing in you know 500 mid-tier players, if the strategy is kind of like get a first-hand look at these guys and then we we lock up five of them out of 20, 
that are going to be a part of the future Texans. I mean, it's it's not the worst thing in the world. Again, Seattle did this, man. The Patriots did it. Before Seattle started their run, before New England started their run in the 2000s, they went across the entire league, picked up the scraps, threw them on the roster, saw what stuck, and went on. And, so, and when you look at te- Texans not having the draft capital right now, it really needs to be the play, the way to reshape the roster. Maybe the strategy is simply, you've always had this thing of, you know, you can't tank because you can't, actually, I think it's, it's Kelly that's had this, your wife, you by yes. proxy. You can't, ha- you can't establish this culture of losing because then when you finally get the quarterback and you try and fix it, everyone's too used to losing. It's ingrained and you can't get it out. It's like a bad smell in the car. Um, so maybe the idea is, well, okay, we've, we've taken over this losing team. Let's just get rid of everybody. Let's just change the 53 people that are in the building. Therefore, there's no like remaining stench of losing attached to this team. Yeah, it's the thing we don't quantify here, but I, I think it exists, right? I, I wonder if anybody... The culture thing exists. That, those and... examples before where people have just churned the entire roster. I wonder... We have astute listeners, right? So go to um, NFL Podcast, NFL, uh, NFL Podcast at pff.com. If you want to go through... And just pull out all of Seattle's transactions in 2010 and send them our way. Well, what I'm curious so we can about look at it because it was a ton. What I'm curious about is the teams that have done that and brought in an absolute ton of players in one in short period of time. How much are they actually? Are they bringing in players from winning teams? Like even if they're crappy players, if I bring in somebody's third string linebacker who's been on a team that's won 10 games three straight seasons. Like, is that, is that what they're targeting? And nobody really pays attention because it's their third-string linebacker and you're just like, yeah, it's a move. No, there's no like, way you could do that. Are I they mean, targeting winning, experienced players just to get rid of that stench of losing from the building? Maybe, but I don't – it's tough to do, man. Like, they brought in Moncrief. Has he ever been on a winner? Chris Conley? Well, who the hell knows? I Mon- mean, last couple of years hasn't. <laughs> Moncrief Desmond just sits around in the bottom of somebody's depth chart. Nobody ever knows where he's been. Moncrief's been on every type of team. All right, let's go. Staying within the division here. We got the whole uh, the next two AFC South teams to get through here. Indianapolis Colts and the Jacksonville Jaguars. Starting with the Colts, left tackle is the obvious big question. They're showing incredible patience here at left tackle. Then edge defender and, um, I mean, a wide receiver to me is, it's not the biggest need because tackle has to be filled. But as far as what's going to make an impact for the 2021 Indianapolis Colts, it's wide receiver yeah it is but i really want to see them solve left tackle i mean the bringing in carson wentz was the desperation move that they had to make because of the potential that they didn't have a quarterback they they could have been in a situation where denver is except even worse because they don't pick a nine they pick a 21 so if they didn't get carson wentz you were left with well do we bring in ryan fitzpatrick or do we try and execute some insane trade in the draft to jump up 15 spots, or do we just roll with nothing? So they made the Carson Wentz deal. Now, I don't hate that as a gamble necessarily, but Carson Wentz, wherever you think his ceiling lies, and by the way, I think it's really encouraging that Frank Reich is referencing 2019, not 2017, when he says, you know, Carson Wentz is what still is got it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like he, if he's watched his 2019 tape and has concluded, yeah, look, I can work with that. That, I think, is a very encouraging sign because I think that's a much more realistic baseline for Wentz than that MVP caliber year. But whatever you think he's going to be, Carson Wentz is a quarterback that needs pass protection more than some others. When he gets pressured, 
his play drops off a lot and has all the way back through his career, including college. So make sure you don't have Sam Tevy as your starting left tackle is what I'm saying. Yeah, that's important. Uh, just to clarify to the live streamers here, we are going alphabetically here. The alphabet happens oh to God. put three AFC South teams in a row. Houston, right. Indianapolis, and Jacksonville. So that's why I said we're going through the AFC South. There was some confusion. They thought we might have been pivoting to division. Hmm. But we're sticking to the alphabet here by city name. So we're at I, Indianapolis, Josh. So Indianapolis Colts um, have re-signed T.Y. Hilton. Yeah. And, I, you know, again, I like, I like him as, a, as an intermediate threat. That's fine. My whole goal is to take a guy like Paris Campbell and, and make him wide receiver four. Paris <laughs> Campbell, you know, Zach Pascal's been okay, and Michael Pittman it, it can, can be good. I could see a year two breakout for him as well as a big-bodied possession type. But if the Colts are going to make a move and go from this really nice-looking roster, the impact comes from playmakers at wide receiver. Double up at wide receiver in the draft Colts after you get your left tackle sort situation sorted out, that is what moves the needle if you're going to try to beat the Kansas City Chiefs and the Buffalo Bills and the AFC. I just had this image of you in your GM interview, you know, whereas, whereas Dan Campbell is leaning in close to the mic and saying, I really want this job. You are, are leading off. Your, your initial pitch is, listen, my goal here is to make Paris Campbell wide receiver four. Yeah. That's all that matters. That's yeah. how we're going to win these games is take your former second-round pick and make sure that he is the smallest part of this offense as humanly possible. If you make your best wide receiver the fourth-best wide receiver, your team is getting better. Not that Paris Campbell's the best wide receiver. I'm just saying if you keep pushing receivers down the depth chart because you get better options, hmm. your team is getting better. All right, Jacksonville Jaguars. We are wrapping up the, these three teams in the AFC South. We won't get to Tennessee until later because they're lower in the alphabet. Jacksonville Jaguars have added a ton of players yeah. so far this offseason, and I like it. You know, we're getting into, assuming Urban Meyer has his hand in this and Trent Baalke, you get into their mind a little bit. But safety, tight end, and tackle is what we have listed as a need. Tackle's the interesting one because Cam Robinson's back on the franchise tag. Juwan Taylor opposite him has not been all that good. Well, they combine, I think, for the two most amounts of pressure over the last two years among right. tackles. So, so their left and right tackle are the two biggest um, biggest culprits of pressure allowed on a quarterback over the last two years. So you know what else? You, if you look at it and say, oh, we hey, go. we got a second-round pick and we got a guy in the franchise tag, we're good, sure, uh, but the data says you're not. It says, in fact, you quite badly need an upgrade there. Uh, yeah, so a forward-looking approach, current and forward-looking approach, a tackle, uh, tight end, definitely a place where you're, you're assuming Trevor Lawrence is here and you just want a playmaker there. They did sign Chris Manhurts in free agency, but he has not been a very good pass game weapon during his career with the Panthers. Um, I always want more wide receiver depth. You know that, but I think uh, – and then safety is a place. Rayshon Jenkins, maybe they overpaid for him. He's a solid player, but more of a, a free safety type or a complementary piece important for the Jaguars. Yeah, they so a lot of their – um, needs kind of depend on how the guys they brought in actually pan out. Um, like they have a group, they have a trio of corners that I think are really intriguing, but they're all somewhat of a gamble. Shaquille Griffin um, has had, you know, one really good year in Seattle and a couple of years where he's made a lot of pass breakups, but has also had some ups and downs. CJ Henderson last year hit the ground running and then 
you know, after a while started to get beat the same way all the rookie corners did. We don't quite know what he's going to be long term. Sidney Jones was the best corner they had last year. They re-signed him. So there's the makings of a really nice trio there. But equally, you could imagine a scenario where all three of them go in the wrong direction and you don't have any corners still. So Always know, they, corner depth. Yeah, they've made a lot of moves, but I think we don't quite know what their actual needs are depending on how these guys pan out. Uh, linebacker, they're looking pretty good with Miles Jack and Joe Schobert there. I think defensive line-wise – um, Generally, yeah, you can you can add depth there as well. I mean, got, they brought they brought in three interior players to round things out. I think more, uh, and they re-signed Dwayne Smoot at edge. So again, it, it is dependent on some of these, you know, complementary moves that they've made. But I think just impact players across the board. You know, I would not give up on like if Quiddy Pay is around late first round impact player. I'm not looking at my roster saying, well, he's you know we already have three three or four edge defenders just get your impact players that's what's going to turn jacksonville around so that's my need it's also like it's also like a parable of sunk costs and what happens if you keep missing i mean they've got three former first round picks on the defensive line none of whom yet has been a true impact difference maker taven bryan caleb on chase on josh allen now you're looking at the first round and potentially another one of those guys available when you're picking I always wonder how much teams just are scared of that because right. they keep swinging. Like the, the it was the Falcons for a while, right? And remember how much crap Matt Millen took because he kept drafting wide receivers in the first round. It's like yeah. the smartest thing he ever did was take the last one. Like right. he didn't listen to everybody mocking him and finally took one that that actually did fix it. I think there are definitely certain positions where you do that though. Because the payoff is so much greater. Obviously, quarterback is the one that's in a different world. You take a million quarterbacks because if you hit on one, you win. But receiver and corner is the one that we keep keep coming back to. If it takes three swings at getting an impact wide receiver or three swings at getting an impact corner, that might be worth it rather than, say, on those three swings getting just two average players at another position. So the, those team-building decisions uh, do need to be weighed. as It takes swings at those high-value positions because I mean, ultimately, if you've, of the Ultimately, if you've missed – what is your alternative? You just roll and say, oh, well, we can't find that position, so we're done. Like, unless you have a solution to trade for a, an alternative, you have to keep drafting them. I mean, it's, there's no other option. The only other way of doing it is what the Vikings did when they, draft, when they traded for Jared Allen, which is, look, we've drafted first-round edge defenders for years, and we keep missing. Kenechi Daisy, Erasmus James, like, it's, it's a disaster. So screw it. We're going to send two first-round picks to Kansas City for a proven pro bowler and just be done with it. Just answer it once and for all. Get the proven commodity. Right, and that worked. But if you're not planning on doing that, you, you don't have an alternative. You have to keep drafting them. All right, let's go to the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, they've done great work on the offensive line. There's more work to do. I think as of right now, very much in line to grab a tackle in the first round. We'll see uh, Mitchell Schwartz was doing some pal-off press yesterday. Oh, yeah? Like, yeah. I was also doing some slow walking on the treadmill. I don't, he's still a way away. <laughs> Mitchell might be coming back. One year, six mil. One year, six. Okay. That's, what, that's what's going to happen. Mitchell's going to come back on the cheap to the Chiefs. But, yeah, figuring out that tackle situation. Uh, linebacker, uh, they like Willie Gay. I think we'll see more from him next year. I think linebacker seems like this annual issue in Kansas City. I mean, it is for a lot of big teams. It is. Um, and then, you know, with all the money invested in Frank Clark – that next edge rusher, you know, another guy either opposite him or to replace him in the coming years if they're going to try yeah. to get out of his contract. Yeah, I mean, I think definitely 
trying certainly a compliment would help but honestly long term trying to find a solution to a reason to move on from Frank Gore or not Frank Gore Frank Gore will never be moved on from Frank Gore is perennial in the always NFL. trying to move on from Frank Gore <laughs> Frank Clark a reason to move on from him I think would definitely be a positive he just hasn't had he comes up with a few impact sacks at key times which I think skews a lot of people's perception but overall he just hasn't been a productive pass rusher yeah that's the that's the only issue we're trying to get Hall of Fame voters to move on from Frank Gore mm. that's all uh, so yeah, what, what Kansas City does on the offensive line, I would also, as always, put wide receiver three, man, wide receiver three, or playmaker three. It's really wide receiver two. Uh, say what you want about Sammy Watkins, but there were those games, there were the games where they needed him, and that's where that extra pass game weapon comes from. Travis Kelsey, Tyreek Hill, Mecole Hardman is another, I want him lower on the depth chart. Mecole Hardman needs to be my my fourth pass game option stretch the field guy if you sleep on the first three this dude's getting behind the defense he's got great speed you have to account for him defensively me but i don't want him as my next target after tyree kill and yeah. travis kelsey frank clark has eight sacks in the last two postseason runs and 14 sacks in the last two regular season runs like he's he's got almost as much yeah. sack total in just the playoffs as he has in the last two regular seasons chiefs fans are okay with that I mean, I'm okay with it in terms of look. If you're going to be, if you're going to show feel, up it, at some point, yeah, that's the right good. time to show up. It felt but good, given the money he's Tannehill on to end the AFC championship. Yeah, like it's important. It's not. I'm, I'm not dismissing the impact that those have. I'm just saying that, like, it's if you're paying him the amount of money they're paying him, you would like that to exist in the regular season as well. No, I agree. I hear you. Quick break to tell you about our friends, Underdog Fantasy. If you like fantasy football and if you like playing fantasy for money. You need to check out Underdog Fantasy. They've got everything, including season-long and playoff best ball. Best ball is a season-long game where you draft a team like you normally do, but that's it. There's no in-season roster management. Underdog automatically selects your best performers each week, saving you loads of time. So right now, go to Underdog Fantasy, deposit just 10 bucks using the promo code PFF, and you get a free PFF Edge annual subscription. That's promo code PFF. You get 365 days of access to Edge annual just 10 bucks use the promo code pff draft now at underdog fantasy what are you laughing at over there i'm just reading one of the emails that came in i hadn't had a chance to read it before the uh before the show to determine whether it was worth reading out or not it was somebody you know last podcast we talked about our amusing injuries you getting felled by an eight-year-old and me almost rupturing my entire ankle just landing from like a foot and a half in the air um some guy sent us in one about his cricket injury uh, and it, it does appear to be quite funny, but I haven't vetted it we'll yet. We'll have to tease yeah. that for a further... Maybe tomorrow. For a later podcast. Maybe in tomorrow's bonus. We have another bonus podcast. We'll be going through the NFC team needs. It's also very English po- like email, by the way. Like the number of place names. He's, you would have problems trying to pronounce some of these names. Maybe I'll read it. Saying. Maybe I'll read it on the podcast tomorrow. All right, Las Vegas Raiders. Corner, safety, and offensive line is what tri- uh, Mr. Tresh has listed here cornerback mm-hmm. safety and offensive line corner and safety is the annual need yeah just back seven coverage ability in general for the raiders uh revamping the defense with um with gus bradley coming in so they're running the the seattle cover three very specific type of players i think jonathan Ab- from a safety standpoint jonathan abram's going to play a more realistic role for him where he's going to be more of that strong safety i think his 35.9 grade from last year is going to get better <laughs> You do want a true free safety, though, for that system. So there's a question there. 
and the cornerbacks, Trayvon Mullen and Damon Arnett, like still a million question marks on the back yeah, end for the Rams. I, I think there's a chance that this scheme rescues that group of corners. Um, they are stylistically and size-wise, they're a good fit for this defense. Like it, it, they actually, you know, a lot of times you bring in a scheme like this and this team covered six foot two corners that have length and can run a little bit. And you're like, nobody on this roster fits that category. We need to, like, we need to cut all of these corners and start over. Like every, we're going to be drafting every six foot two corner in the draft this year because we don't have anyone that can run this scheme. Actually, everyone they have kind of fits. They're, they're already a reasonably natural transition into this. Um, so I could, and, you know, Damon Arnett, okay, he was a reach number, what, wherever he was, 20? In the 20s. Uh, he was a reach there in that draft. I don't think nineteen. Many, sorry, okay, nineteen. I don't think many people had him that high in the draft at all. Um, but his rookie season was kind of a bust, not because of his play necessarily, because the guy had concussion and broke a thumb. I think like he was just constantly out of the lineup, just wasn't able to play. So in addition to the fact that every rookie cornerback got lit up, he also didn't play most of the time. So look, we don't quite know what Arnett's going to be in this system. Trayvon Mullen, I think is actually an interesting fit in this in this defense as well. So, yeah, look, I'm not going to say don't draft a corner because you're, the guys you have might be a good fit within this defense. But like you, I think the play of those guys could take a step forward immediately in this, in this system the same way you might expect the play of Jonathan Abraham to jump forward. Yeah, even uh, Corey Littleton, too, disappointed last year as a free agent. He's got that you know, run-the-middle-of-the-field type of speed that's, that's needed. Uh, in this defensive system so I, I think there are some of the pieces I, the the defensive line is also crucial getting pressure on the quarterback in the entire Seattle three uh, defensive system through the years Max Crosby Cleveland Farrell bringing in Yannick Ngakwe Maurice Hurst on the interior continue to add to that just continue like Solomon Thomas they brought in former third overall pick Solomon Thomas has not found a, a fit anywhere nope. along the defensive line which has been very disappointing and then the other story with the Raiders is the entire offensive line overhaul. This is they, – they signed Nick Martin at center. Mm -hmm. But the backup center, Andre James, they also re-signed to a big contract. I'm trying to unpack what's happening here with the Raiders. Denzel Good comes back at right guard. He had a 56.7 PFF grade last year. He doesn't care, though. He mm -hmm. tweeted at you and me and, and, uh, and Chris that he doesn't care about his grade, which is fine. <laughs> But the, there is a lot of churn here on the offensive line. It, at least three starters. Three starters are going to change. Colton Miller's back. He's made great progress yep. since being a disastrous rookie year. Richie Incognito's back. Good player. But center, right guard, and right tackle, a massive question mark. And I don't know if it's a need for the Raiders because they kind of addressed it with some of these signings. They don't see it as a yeah. need is what I should yes, say. Yes, that I think is a fair way of putting it. That they – it's they're not going to address it whether it's a need or not this offseason they are going to roll into the year with Andre James presumably as their starting center Nick Martin as cover James they're reported to love I mean there's zero evidence based on what we've seen from him we so only far have, look it was a disastrous 119 snaps yes in our grading system but it's still it's still only 119 sure snaps. but my that validates the point there is zero evidence right now that you should love Andre James at least from an external point of view. Obviously, they see him in practice and those kinds of things. So, whatever. The, Andre James is a gamble starting at, at center. Denzel Good, again, there is very little evidence to suggest that he is a plus player, particularly when you look at the guy that he's going to be replacing at that spot. 
Um, and then right tackle is like a complete question mark at this point. So they essentially have to repair the entire right side of the offensive line, of which they will be hoping that the two guys, two of those three spots, are already addressed and they know better than everybody else. This is just going to, it's going to be very telling with uh, just how well the Raiders are evaluating these offensive linemen. Brandon Parker's yeah. heading into year four and James year three. And, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens here. But um, would still view offensive line as a need. We'll see what, if they agree. I mean, certainly right the tackle. I mean, there's no option right now. So you're going to need a starting right tackle from somewhere. All right. Los Angeles Chargers, O line still. Yeah. Work to do. I say still a lot. Like everybody's got everybody's got work to do, and I just say still, still well, more were, to do. There were a bunch of teams that went into free agency, essentially needing a complete and total offensive line overhaul, of which they are like two fifths of the way through doing that. So and, they still need work. And I've mentioned a few times. I think the Chargers are in good position at thirteen if uh, Rashawn Slater's there. Yeah, and if he's the guy, he becomes their left tackle. Now you're looking at the Corey Lindsley, Matt Filer signings. And Brian Bulaga is there, and when he's healthy, he's a good, solid player. Odeyabushi comes in. I'm, now it's they're creeping back toward average, man. They're doing it the right way. Right. They're in a very similar spot to Tampa Bay last year, which is, yes, you have a glaring need to tackle, and you might have to chase one and plug that in, but you don't have to wait until the 20s where you don't know how many of those guys are going to be gone, and you're just left picking from the one that's left. You should have a pretty good option at that high in the draft. Now, you might not get number one, but you might get two or three, at which point you should be in, good situ in a good situation when this is a good tackle draft, just like it was last year. The difference with Tampa, though, obviously, is the Chargers have other holes, yeah. such as corner, a place that was a, a strength for a while. They bring back Michael Davis. Chris Harris comes back. They could always move Derwin James there, Sam, as I, <laughs> as I highlighted on the PFF NFL Daily. Bold moves uh. that we want to see this offseason. Move Derwin to corner, see what happens. But, yeah, uh, opposite Michael Davis looking for a starter there as well. Yes. The end. That's all you got? That's all I got. I mean, I don't think I, – I think tackle for me is the bigger need for them. I, the, this offseason for the Chargers is an interesting one because everybody expects – Justin Herbert was incredible year one, phenomenal, vastly outperformed what we expected of him as a rookie and just generally as an NFL player. Um but everybody expects him to kick on year two. It's like, well, he just set the rookie record year one. was great. He's going to be even better year two. And then, you know, be the best quarterback in the NFL in year three, that linear step-by-step -step progression. I would be instead thinking a lot more about the things that are going to go south for Justin Herbert um, and trying to mitigate those and at least making sure that you balance out and he's the same guy next year. So play under pressure was incredible this year. Now it's probably not going to be next year, so let's make sure he's under less pressure. Under less pressure. Offensive line. The biggest key there. So, yeah, keep looking for that O-line development with the Chargers. Let's go to the Miami Dolphins. We still put O-line there, man, well, it's, yeah, as a place. Look at it on paper. Do they see it as a need? They have to see some of it as a need, surely. O-line, D-line, by the way, is what we put as the top two team needs for the Miami Dolphins. I don't think they're done at wide receiver. And I don't mean to sound like sure. a broken record and talk wide receiver for every single team, but a one-year contract for Will Fuller. Well, particularly where they pick. I mean, right, top three. I don't think they're done at receiver, so they're, they're going to look there. I am curious to know what they think about the offensive line. Matt Skura comes in. They had three rookies start last year. Jesse Davis is back at, at right tackle. Robert Hunt is one of those rookies that maybe should be playing. Yes right tackle based off what we saw he was the best rookie i think there is more 
to add there and just continue to make that unit. Well, also, better. I mean, look at your interior. It's Eric Flowers, Matsuri they brought in, Solomon Kinley, who wasn't good. I mean, this the interior of that offensive line is not good. What's going to be really interesting is if they they have a really interesting choice to make at number three. Do they go with the best receiver in the draft? Do they trade down? Do yeah. they take a Panay Sewell and figure out which tackle is getting bumped to the bench because of that? Um, that, I think, is just – they're one of the more interesting – pivot points of the entire draft the way it unfolds they're another one of those rosters where it's not it's not dominant across the board it's good though but it's it's solid man it's solid at corner Uh, it's solid in the entire secondary i think there's more safety depth to add there there's a defensive line you know they bring in guys like adam butler they bring in some depth pieces i think impact d line though which is the reason why that's up there as a team need impact defensive linemen for the dolphins remains a need uh christian wilkins was the first draft pick of this new regime they've pretty much gotten what you would expect from him he's just yeah. a solid player i'd love to see a dominant edge rusher there somewhere there's no one there that's this is a defense that doesn't necessarily need that as much as others but i would love to see one real like plus player in terms of just a consistent pass rush pressure presence let's go to the new england patriots now qb wide receiver in corner is what we've listed here now receiver there's a lot of options and they're probably end up they might have to get rid of guys like julian edelman and trying to trade Nikhil harry so there's depth there but once again we mentioned how many times we're going to say impact player it's not like wide receivers solved in new england it's better yeah from one of the worst situations qb is the interesting one somebody asked in the chat a few a little while back is uh are they trading up and, and i think they're positioned to do it do you think the patriots trade up to go get their quarterback this year uh i think it's on the table i mean cam newton the thing to take away from the cam newton signing is not that they're done it's that right now jared stidham is no longer an option like the cam newton sign was literally just about being able to tempt people to new england with something other than jared stidham so you could go into a meeting room with john o smith and hunter henry and nelson Aguilar and say don't worry Jarrett Stidham is not going to be the thing that determines your success going forward. We have Cam Newton. We have a plan. We have a history with a two tight end offense. We're good. So now you're still in the market for a quarterback because Cam Newton showed last year he's probably not a long-term solution, even if you upgrade the people he's throwing to. So I think they're definitely going to be looking at it. But if four of those quarterbacks go in the top six, I don't know if they're going to have the, the desire or the ammunition to go up that far. We'll, we'll debate this plenty between now and the last weekend of April. But if they're going to trade up for a guy, I, want, I just can't wait to get into the mind of Belichick even more. Do they see a Mac Jones and think of Brady? Do they, do they really, other people have. Somebody's going to agree with Tua. Somebody's going to agree with the people that think Mac Jones is a more athletic Tom Brady. Mm-hmm. And do the Patriots care? Are they even trying to look for the next tom brady stylistically yeah what do they want or do they have cam newton and say man we love the qb run game if justin fields or trey lance is there they're the best options for the qb run game we want that as part of our offense and we see so many raw tools to develop in both justin fields from an accuracy standpoint trey lance we want that guy sitting behind cam and that's our starter in 2022 i really think there's they're in position to go make that move the the unsexy move for new england is sitting pat at 15 forward-looking approach and just drafting a tackle right they get Trent Brown's on a one-year deal tackle could be a spot forward-looking approach is looking at corner 
as Stephon Gilmore gets a little bit older and JC, you know, some depth with JC Jackson there. So I think corner is definitely on the table as well. Standing for Pat, pun intended. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. Patriots, Pat. Mm. What's next? New York Jets. So QBs, the obvious need. We know they're going to take one. We assume. You don't know. That's the I don't thing. know. We hope. No, they are. They're taking a, they're taking a QB. <laughs> okay. They're not. They're, it's way too risky to roll with Donald. Here's the thing. Here, here's the end of the debate. If, if there's a chance that Sam Donald, in a new system, and a new environment, and a non-Adam Gase coach can get the best out of him, uh-huh. even though you don't have the reps to go around, just keep him as your backup. Just keep Sam Donald as your backup. You draft, you draft Zach Wilson. Go compete, Zach Wilson and Sam Darnold. Just mm-hmm. go and do it. I know we're in New York and the big market and the whole thing, but if there's a chance that Sam Darnold can become a starter in this league or, or increase his value, why would the Jets want him to do that elsewhere? You can have the best of both worlds. You can have Zach Wilson. You can have Sam Darnold. Let them go at it God. and go. I don't think you can do that in New York. Oh, stop it, I Sam. Don't, just don't make you, good you decisions, and everybody's going to be okay. You can't draft the guy's replacement. And then You're have, so worried about getting booed on draft day. I don't care about getting booed on draft day. You can't draft the guy's replacement and then have every question that Zach Wilson ever has to ask or ever has to answer, what is it like having Sam Darnold sitting behind you waiting for you to screw up? No, like, I mean, if Darnold like, does panic. Zach Wilson's the starter. Sam Darnold's your backup. If Someone the, else is going to invest in Sam Darnold as a backup. It's a smart move to if, invest in Sam Darnold as your backup. You should do it, Jets. If Darnold does pan out, then you just lit a first-round pick on fire, a top three, top two, where the hell they pick it? Two, a top two pick on fire by drafting this guy and then turning to the guy you already had in the building in the first place. You can't like if they draft Zach Wilson or whoever it is at two. Darnold is gone in a heartbeat. He's out of the building. You are flipping him for whatever you can get out of him. And hoping would investigate that too, second rounder. That's what will happen. Yeah. There's no way you keep both of them on the roster and let that firestorm happen in New York. Look, people want to give them Panay Sewell and roll with Darnold. That's that's absurd, because they don't know. Because it's only because of the doubt. What if Sam had better receivers? What if yeah. he had a better coach? Right? You might get him. You might keep him in the building. He's got a better coach and just see something better. In Sam Darnold, you roll him out for a few preseason games, he looks great, and that actually increases his value. There is there's a play to be made where they keep Darnold around. That's all I'm saying. We put down corner edge and interior offensive line. I think offensive tackle is still an issue. I don't care what Jets fans were all up in our mention saying, you guys didn't give them a guard. Yes, they need guards and centers and the whole thing. Dan Feeney's in there, and he hasn't played well yet. They need more depth on the interior of the O-line, but George Fant is still sli- uh, slated to start at right tackle at the moment. Mm. So they need a starting tackle opposite Mekhi Becton. So that's an issue. Another edge defender opposite Carl Lawson and corner. Corner's, Corner's the big one. A big one. Yeah, they don't have anybody there that you have any real confidence in being a quality starter going forward. Bryce Hall is an intriguing player. But again, like it, it, they need three corners. Let's be serious. Right. But he was, a, and even if you're relying on him, he's a he's a fifth round pick a year ago. Like, how confident can you be in him going forward? And particularly again, like every rookie cornerback got lit on fire last year. Now, if you're a first round player, you probably have more confidence that that is not indicative of his future performance. If you were a fifth round player, I mean, that might be enough to just get you dumped off the 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 depth chart. Like, you're not. You were a fifth-round player, and you got lit on fire as a rookie. You're not starting quality. Bye-bye. 
Now, I'm not saying that's true for Bryce Hall. I kind of like him as a player, but my point is... He was a perfect gamble to take. Yes. My point is you cannot be confident in him going forward as a starting player. Yeah, I mean, they all they have as far as cornerbacks on their roster are, are intriguing players. Yes. Lamar Jackson has good size, the corner. Yes. Uh, Bryce Hall has the history of injury but production. They're intriguing players. They need good players at corner. Definitely the biggest need for the Jets. Uh, two teams pit- left, Pittsburgh Steelers and Tennessee Titans. Let's go to the Steelers, QB, and then that offensive line overhaul. Juju Smith-Schuster's back. Hmm. So, the, so the, again, the wide receiver core is solid all around, man, but I think they have to play differently, and it'll depend on who they have starting on this offensive line here. Yeah, and this is what's really interesting. Like we, we were going one last go-around with Ben Roethlisberger, and unlike the Saints, who did the same thing, like the Saints had a championship-caliber roster, which is why Breeze probably kept coming back for the last couple of years. Right. They thought that they were right there. They were almost Super Bowl-caliber. And I know the Steelers were in the playoffs. They looked good. They were the last undefeated team last year but they've lost players and even what they've done this offseason in terms of bringing guys back it hasn't really stopped the rot so you don't have a left tackle right now really again you're relying on a former third round pick who hasn't played well you've got no center your center just retired hall of famer um your right guard is fine your left guard might be fine so you might have two guards zach banner is coming back to play right tackle who you re-signed We've no idea if Zach Banner can play right tackle well. He's done okay in snaps as like the sixth offensive lineman, and they were planning on starting him at right tackle last year before he got hurt, but that's a complete unknown. So potentially three-fifths of this offensive line is a complete and total gamble. And what do we keep saying? Like, let's assume all of these gambles are 50-50. That means you've got at least one problem somewhere on that line. Yeah, and the roster's set up as such where you see all all the losses that you've mentioned. And the Steelers might be in position to grab one of those top tackles, a Tevin Jenkins or whoever, in the late, you know, late first round. And if they do that, fine. I mean, it's, it's, it's a position that they need and it, the value's there and all that stuff. I just don't see how the Steelers are going to be better than they were right. last year. That's, where I'm, that's what I'm struggling to see right now. Unless, and here's, here's how they can do it, unless Big Ben just plays better. And it's not like, it's just like quarterbacks don't always get better every single year. They also don't just get worse every single year when they're old too. Big Ben could easily be a top 15 quarterback next year. Last, last year, he wasn't. They, they were winning despite him a lot of the time with a great defense. He could be a top 15 quarterback, and they could be a better team next year. But he's also at the point of, in his career where the rest of the roster does need to be better. So there's work to do. Shoring up the rest of that offensive line. Uh, you know, Cornerback is going to be a question now as uh, replacing Steven Nelson. Mm-hmm. You know, Justin Lane may be slotted to, to be the starter. I like bringing back Cameron Sutton, but there's there's a few more pieces that the the Steelers need just to just to get back to status quo, which yes. is last year's roster. They they feel a little bit like the Green Bay Packers this time a year ago, where this is not necessarily as good a team as people were saying it was based on their record, and they needed to do some remedial work to fix the rot. Green Bay didn't, and they were sort of roundly castigated for it. But the thing that offset that was the three most important positions on the roster all having career years. Rodgers, um, Devontae Adams, and Jair Alexander, plus the offense implemented a bunch of things that they don't like doing, which made them better. Now, the Steelers could do the same thing if Roethlisberger goes from playing like not great to playing really well, and they start to implement the things that he doesn't like running. Play action. Run it. I don't care if you don't like it. Deal with it. Chuck it's it better. down the field. It will help you. If you do those things, 
that would offset all the losses that Pittsburgh is dealing with. Read my article on how you take a mid-tier quarterback, make him aggressive, you can get a career year out of him. It right. won't be a career year for Ben, but if you're talking about maximizing late 30s quarterback. But it will move the needle more than anything else they can achieve yes. in between now and the start of the season. So I think we're going to be, from a team-building standpoint, we might be hard on the Steelers. It might be, we might be tough on them. But there's definitely a path to them having a good team next year with a few what-ifs in there. All right, let's round it out with the Tennessee Titans. From a need standpoint, one of those teams that they, they have some stuff to replace, but wide receiver is the, is the big one with Corey Davis gone, more so with Jonu Smith gone as well, just pass catcher in general. Cornerback is, is going through an overhaul there. And then offensive line. This is another one of those teams. This reminds me of the Falcons, 2016-ish, when they had just a really nice, solid roster. And then all of a sudden, like one year, they had to replace all their offensive linemen. And then mm. they had a whole secondary to replace. And all these the whack-a-mole again. It's what the Tennessee Titans feel like they're going through right now with their roster. If only they had a former first-round pick, a tackle to step in. You're two and, you know. Isaiah Wilson, yeah. former Titan, former Didn't Dolphin. Go well. Didn't go well. He's gone. So right tackle is a hole. Dennis Kelly's also been released. So right now, Kendall Lamb is the uh, on-paper starting right tackle. So Tennessee definitely needs to address that position. Mm-hmm. And then wide receiver opposite A.J. Brown, a bunch of guys who just haven't played, haven't played football at all, right? So multiple wide receivers. They are one of those few teams that could probably deal with a, just having two good receivers and relying more on their tight ends, but that also depends on having more tight ends. So yeah, honestly, catchers, tight end might be the bigger issue. I think you're going to be able to find wide receivers in this draft, certainly if all you need is a number two, kind of easily. I, I, it's just such a good wide receiver class again you just keep saying any, you know, you just grab Corey Davis's anywhere, huh? Yeah. Look, I don't think it's that hard. Like, how you can just look at the receivers that were taken last year. It is not hard to find quality um, receivers who can contribute in the NFL anymore. So I think you're going to be able to find a receiver to come in that. But if you don't have, who's your tight end? This is not a great tight end class because it never is. It's hard to find tight ends. And you add one, you let him go. So where are they going with tight end? They bring back Anthony Ferkser, who is he's a move tight end. He's a you know he's your he's a number two tight end. That's the the type of player he is. He's done well for you know what he's been asked to do in that system. But yeah, there are glaring like Ferkser and Jeff Swaim is not going to get it done in terms of elevating your offense. Tennessee either they're going to do a good job of mopping up with uh, the veterans who get released after the draft, or the veterans that are still out there in free agency, or they're going to they're going to have to draft really well. Uh, to keep up or, or Tannehill's gonna have to put together another 90 grade and you know even with back-to-backs it's you know is that a question mark as well relying on Tannehill to be an elite quarterback once again so the Titans have uh, a few more holes I think than some of these other teams we've broken down here today and they probably could use cornerback help as well because you know the they turned over their entire cornerback group. They bring in Janoris Jenkins. He should be fine. But you're relying on, you know, Christian Fulton maybe to, be, again, second-round pick from a year ago, didn't really play. Is he going to be good? If he isn't, it's an immediate need. It's a, going back to the Steelers really quick, it's a fascinating year for teams with young offensive linemen just making bets on them, saying, okay, Zach Banner is going to be our guy. And it, with Tennessee, the equivalent would be like a Christian Fulton. If they don't go corner high in the draft – we're just we're relying on last year's second rounder. So a lot of next year's season is going to determine be determined by some of these young guys just 
you know, how good are teams at their evaluations of their young players that we haven't seen a lot of football from. Yeah, I, I really think that's one of the, the stories of this whole team building period is like what to make of year two players generally. I mean, yeah. there's so many unknowns with those group with that group right now that it determines so many of the directions these teams have to go in. So that's it. AFC is in the books. We appreciate everybody for tuning in live. We're going to do another bonus show. So we did three shows last week. We're doing it again this week. We're going to be back here tomorrow. We'll be live maybe around 1030 or so. So, you know, set, set a reminder. Join us on YouTube. If you're listening uh, in podcast land, you'll just get that extra podcast once again. The Friday podcast, we're going to do NFC team needs after free agency. And then next week, we'll start spinning it forward to the draft and uh, dive deep into this year's draft class. Yep. All right. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. We'll see you tomorrow for the PFF NFL podcast bonus show. Wave, Sam. Thank you.